Okay, so when whoever brought this mic and all with the wire, I thought he was strapping me to go and fulfill some mission. You know, they get, people get strapped and then they go and fulfill some missions. <laughs> Not so good missions. So I was just joking with our friend who brought this to me. Thank you so much, oversight and leadership of uh, New Life Bible Chapel, for whom we regularly pray. Um, by virtue of the fact that our daughter and son-in-law and little granddaughter are here, but then after two years since we came and met you, we pray for you regularly and also at Unley Chapel, Adelaide, where our first daughter lives, and of course, Cornerstone is where our second daughter and family is, so that's definitely prayed for. Uh, <clears throat> we've enjoyed our time here. We'll be with you one more Sunday to worship, and then we will... Depart, God willing, back to base, where our primary calling and mission is. Um, so I would like to remind you to, that we need your prayers. Uh, we all need each other's prayers and support to move forward in whatever God has entrusted to us so that we will fight the good fight, we will run the race, and we will finish the course. And uh, so when the Lord Jesus comes back, each of us will stand before him with gladness and joy and say, Lord, I finished the task that uh, you gave me to do. And uh, the Lord will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. It will, it will not happen by chance. It will not happen by default. It will not ha happen automatically. Um, yes, there is God's sovereignty, and uh, there is our human responsibility. So we can't just live any way we want and hope that when the Lord comes, we stand before him. You know, we will get rewards. It will not happen uh, by chance. Um, we deliberately yield our life to God and cooperate with His Spirit in what He wants to do in our life. And uh, if you're obedient, there are, <clears throat> there are spiritual believers, there are carnal believers, um, and then there's a natural man, the three categories of people in this world. And um, as spiritual people, if we yield to the Lord, and to that extent, God can work and fulfill His plans and purposes in our lives. So... Uh, our prayers are with you even as we travel back next week to India. Uh, some months ago, we were having a quiz on the book of Esther in our church, and I had to study for that quiz and participate in that quiz, like all the members of the church. And um, so during that time, <clears throat> uh, I somehow you know, took some time off just to sort of go through the whole book and... Uh, and just meditate on this wonderful story, which I don't think I ever did till that moment in my life. And I just wanted to look at some moments in the life of Esther, some highlights in her life. And then I sort of just jotted down those points and those verses. And, uh, and as I just went through each one of those moments in the life of Esther, I thought there's so much for me to identify with. And uh, this morning as I share, uh, moments from the life of Esther. I'm sure that uh, each of us will be able to identify with one or two of those moments in her life. We sing a song, To be in your presence, not rushing away, to cherish each moment, here would I stay. So if this worship service just got extended beyond 12.35 and it just said, well, let's keep worshiping till 2 o'clock, I wonder how many of us would love to stay and uh, how many of us would just depart in peace and uh, leave that wonderful privilege to our brothers and sisters. 
um, to cherish each moment here would I stay. I want to encourage you as you come back Sunday by Sunday to this only time of corporate worship in the whole week that uh, you just prepare your heart and physically and mentally and make all kinds of preparation necessary maybe the day before and and just come with great joy and enthusiasm and come well before the time. We encourage our believers in Cornerstone to come at least 10 minutes before time so that they just come in, meet people, sit down, settle down, just get their heart in tune and we all together, from the word go, we're all together in worshiping and praising the Lord. And uh, while you're here, just be alive to what God is doing and what's going on. And uh, with all your heart and with all your soul, worship the Lord. Yes, I've enjoyed the worship here for the last three Sundays. Um, it's been a wonderful experience. And uh, one more time, I realize and understand that, uh, you know, there's so many assemblies I've been in different countries, in different parts of India, and here and each one have their own pattern, you know, within the framework of sound doctrine and, you know, everything that's good and wholesome, there are little, little variations, and I think that's absolutely wonderful, wonderful. In our church, we have the first half an hour singing, everybody stands and sings songs like this group sings just before I came onto the stage, and then we go into open worship and, uh, you know, then have the announcements, little coffee break where everybody talks to each other. I find it quite helpful to put the coffee break right in the middle of the service. And then we have the, a little more singing and then the message and children go to Sunday school uh, with the teachers and volunteers. So it's wonderful to be here and see some difference, but you're worshiping the same God and with all our heart and soul and strength and mind, we are here. And at the end of it, we are blessed. God is glorified. We are blessed and we go home. The first moment that I'd like to share with the, in Esther's life, chapter 2 and verse 7, you can open your Bible and keep turning to these verses. I've got my, the hard copy of my Bible here, which I always prefer, prefer to a, a, a phone. Because one day I was sitting in a board meeting and uh, another board member said to me, I said, what's this hard copy of the Bible? That soft copy, it's quite convenient to handle. I mean, what's the difference? He said, the difference is that in this Bible, there's only the Word of God. And he said, in, in that gadget, Word of God is there and so many other things that keep jumping up at you. And uh, so he said, I, I, I just prefer having just the Word of God. Um, anyway, so that was quite a startling thought he shared with me. I, I never thought about it. Uh, until that day. Chapter 2 and verse 7, Mordecai had brought up Hadessa, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter. She had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. A moment of captivity and common life. We've all been through our daily routine in the last uh, six days and we're back again to this worship place since we came last Sunday. Esther was born in exile when Jews were given freedom to leave Babylon and go back to Jerusalem. Some of them thought this is much better here rather, than to, rather to go back and start from scratch. We'd much prefer to be here. And they stayed on. Many Jews stayed on and probably Esther's parents stayed on and they died and here was this young girl, Esther, born in exile. 
deciding to stay on in Persia. There was not much of a future and a hope for her. She was very beautiful, no doubt, extremely beautiful. But an orphan, without mother, without father. There didn't seem to be much of a future and a hope. And as, as Esther went through these moments of captivity, these moments of common life. And yet God in his sovereignty arranged for her senior cousin Mordecai to adopt this young girl. Take her under his wings and take responsibility for this young girl in a strange and foreign land. Can you tell me one thing special about the book of Esther? God is not mentioned. Do you think this book is inspired by the way? Okay, that's you can think about it after you go home from here. God is not mentioned even once in the book of Esther. But I want to tell you, the God who is not mentioned in the book of Esther preserved this girl in exile, this girl in captivity, day by day in her common life. Last Sunday, the group sang that song, day by day. Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. If Esther knew this, the words of this song, she would have sung that song day by day and with each passing moment. I was reminded about another little servant girl, 2 Kings chapter 5. You know the story of Naaman. Syrians had gone. They had raided the enemies and captured many people, including this little girl and the commander-in-chief, Naaman. Thought she was a smart girl and he could actually, uh, you know, allow her to serve his wife, Naaman's wife. And God, as she was going through those moments of captivity, a small girl far away from home in a strange foreign land, God in those moments was preparing her sovereignly for that day when that little girl will open her mouth and say something that changed the future of that army commander in Syria, Naaman. She said, there is a prophet in Israel who can heal you of your leprosy. Every time Naaman went, came back in victory, rejoicing and celebrating, and then he went home and he took off his uniform and changed his dress. And there were those spots. He just couldn't stand it. Just got depressed, straight from victory to depression. One day, God made that little servant girl open her mouth. I know a prophet in Israel who can heal you. One day, led to a series of events, and one day, Naaman was coming back to Syria, flesh like the flesh of a little child. Moments of captivity and common life. If you go to Esther chapter 2, the same chapter, verse, if you look at verses 8, 9, and 10, we see another moment in the life of Esther. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. It was when the king's command and decree were heard, many young women were gathered at Shushan, the citadel or the palace, under the custody of Haggai. Esther also was taken to king, the king's palace, into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women, 
Now the young women pleased him, and she obtained his favor. He readily gave beauty preparations to her. Besides her allowance, seven choice maidservants were provided from the king's palace. He moved her and the maidservants to the best place in the house of the women. Esther had not revealed her people or family. Mordecai, her senior cousin who was now in charge of a guardian, had charged her not to reveal her identity. I call this a moment of call, a moment for an entry into a beauty contest into the world's largest empire, the Persian Empire. The things that led up to this moment, Vashti, the queen, was deposed. She was a woman of dignity and respect. When her husband, the king, and all the lords got drunk, and the king said, Vashti, come. Come put on your crown and display your beauty to this audience who are fully drunk under the control of liquor. You know, Vashti, the queen, had respect. She refused to come. Said, I will not come. Somebody said, the king is ordering you to come. Vashti said, I will not come. And uh, you know the story. Vashti was reposed. Four years had passed from that time. And uh, King Ahasuerus, he had gone to attack the, the nation of Greece. He didn't succeed. He came back. He failed. He was frustrated. And, uh, you know, the advisors of the king were called in. Said, our master, he's, he's in a real low at this point of time. He's, he hasn't had a queen for the last four years. He thought he can attack Greece. But he didn't succeed. And um, our master really needs a queen. And so the king said, okay, 127 provinces. Something else that's special in this book for us living in India is in India is mentioned here. 127 provinces, the Persian Empire. A search will be made for a, a new queen for King Ahasuerus. Mordecai, he, was, he already had access to the palace, Esther's senior cousin. And uh, he lost no time in making sure that Esther also entered this beauty contest, contest that would decide who is going to be Miss Empire or rather the next queen of Persia. He monitored her welfare. He brought her and, and uh, Hegai in verse 8 it says he was the minister for women or women's welfare or whatever you call and uh, he uh, took charge of all the women that came. He was the one in charge and uh, 12 months 12 months of beauty treatment. In verse 12, every young woman's turn came to go into King Ahasuerus after she completed 12 months of preparation according to the regulations for the women. Thus were the days of their preparation, six months with myrrh, then another six months perfume and preparations for beautifying the women. And it says that the God who is not mentioned in the book of Esther that God granted grace and favor to Esther in the eyes of Hegai, who was the overall in charge of preparing and appointing the next queen of Persia. She was given extraordinary care. We read that, you know, she was given seven women to be her servants. And it says in verse 9, the last part, she was moved to the best place. The God who is not mentioned in Esther was working on Esther's behalf. 
it was a moment in her life when she was going to enter a beauty contest which would make her, if she won, the next queen of the Persian Empire. I was reminded of 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27. You know your calling, brethren. Not many wise, not many noble are called. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the strong. Chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And the things that are despised, God has chosen to bring to naught the things that are highly esteemed in the sight of people. And how we can praise God that God has shown his, us his favor and his grace without any reason, without measure. And today we are the objects of his grace. We've been lifted up and seated with him in heavenly places. We are people of royalty, sons and daughters of the king of heaven. In chapter 2, the same chapter Another moment in the life of Esther, verses 16 to 18, Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus. Verse 17 says, The king loved Esther more than all the other women. She obtained grace and favor more than all the virgins. And he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. This is the moment of crowning, the moment of coronation says that as all the women came, Esther's turn came. And it looked like for the king it was love at first sight. He just sort of fell flat for this beautiful young woman, Esther. Uh, says that he placed the crown upon her head. In verse 18 it says they proclaimed, it was called the Feast of Esther. It was so important, they called it the Feast of Esther in verse 18. He proclaimed a holiday so that people would celebrate. King Ahasuerus is getting a new queen. And then he gave gifts according to the generosity of the king. What a day it was in the Persian Empire. Esther was crowned as the new queen. And where's the God who is not mentioned in the book of Esther? That God is moving Esther from captivity to royalty. That God is working behind the scenes and moving her from exile to a position of exaltation and coronation. She's the next queen of the Persian Empire. That little captive girl who is living the life of a commoner in the kingdom. Yes, dear brothers and sisters, 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation and you are a peculiar people so that you can show the praises, the virtues and the glories of the one who called you from darkness into his marvelous light. We are people whom God has crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies. The God who is not mentioned in Esther is working on behalf of Esther, the moment for her coronation The next chapter, if you look at verses 10 and 11, chapter 3, 10 and 11, the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, and said, the king said to Haman, 
the money and the people are given to you to do with them as seems good to you. Verse 13, the letters were sent by couriers into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all the Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. I see this as a moment of crisis in the life of Esther. No sooner had the joy of being crowned as the queen of Persia died down for her and all her Jewish people. They had a representative in the palace, the queen. Immediately, this is a moment of crisis in her life. Haman, and you know, with the help of many of his goons or local people, have devised that uh, you know, these Jewish people, they have, their population has become so large now, although they're part of this huge Persian empire, they become a threat to our Persian empire. And we need to eliminate these Jews. Does that ring a bell in your mind? Yes. And even today, there are countries who say we will wipe Israel from off the face of the earth. Well, it happened in that moment of crisis for Esther. And Mordecai said to Esther, Esther, you've got to do something. You are, you are part of royalty. You're part of the palace. You're the queen. You're the one who has greatest influence with the king. And that famous verse in chapter 4 and verse 14, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God has placed each one of you and kept you here in this church, in this city, for such a time as this. I wonder whether you've really understood the depth and the gravity of that, that in God's great planet Earth and God's great world of humanity with the nations of the world, God has kept you in the place where you are for such a time as this. And Mordecai said to Esther, Esther, you better wake up. You've got to do something. Esther, if you don't do something, being the queen of this empire, all our Jews will be eliminated. And don't you think you will escape? You too will be eliminated. Esther is faced with a tremendous crisis. The story says that she took personal responsibility. She realized, yes, I don't think I'm the queen of Persia by accident at this moment in history. And she said to Mordecai, her senior uncle, a guardian, please mobilize the Jews all over this empire to pray for me. I know they are outnumbered. It's a small minority. Tell them to fast and pray for the next three days. I am also going to fast and pray. At the end of those three days, I will go into the presence of the king, whether he invites me or not, whether he stretches out his scepter or not. And if I perish, I perish. How many of us are willing to take some measure of sacrifice or some measure of risk now being part of the royal family of the God of heaven? Heeding the counsel of Mordecai and receiving courage from the God who is not mentioned in Esther. That was the God. He was the one who empowered and gave such courage to Esther to say, I am walking into the presence of the king, whether he says welcome or not. If he holds his scepter, I am saved. If not, the law was that if you come uninvited to the king's presence, you are, you are dead. And of course, 
the story goes that Esther took the first step, personal risk, leading up to a lot of other steps and a dramatic rescue of the Jewish people so that that remnant would continue. We read this morning about Noah, the whole world was destroyed. How many people survived? Six or seven? Quiz. Eight? Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, eight people survived. The remnant. And God has always been keeping a remnant. You know? And uh, Esther received boldness from the God who is not mentioned in Esther, but the God who is very alive and active to take a step leading to a dramatic res rescue of the Jews. In chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, we see another moment in the life of Esther. Chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the coach, he found favor in his sight. The king held out to Esther the golden scepter in his hand. Then Esther went near, touched the top of his scepter. And the king's, king said to her, What do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It will be given to you even the half of my kingdom. We are reminded that we are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. The kingdom is his and he says you also come, share my kingdom. Every believer is an heir of God, the joint heir with Christ. And the king was ready to give even half his kingdom. What favor she found, what grace. When the king held out a scepter, she, she was relieved. She was relieved. She breathed easy. She touched the scepter and he said, Oh, Queen Esther, what do you want? Tell me. Even half a kingdom I will give you. This was the moment of decision and strategy. This is the moment of decision and strategy in Esther's life. God, yeah, there, God will lead us and guide us and he will help us. But you know, as God's people, we are people who should live with, with plans and goals and strategies. It's very, very important. You read the whole Bible. You find God is a God of purpose and goals and strategies. So Esther's not just going to say, oh, even the half of your kingdom? Oh, king, I don't know all this. That Haman, can you just arrange for him to be killed? No. She, didn't, she wasn't a a hasty woman to speak like that. She was a woman of plans and strategy. She took some time to think about what her request should be. We might, I'm, I might, if I was in the place, I would have said, yeah, wow, please arrange for this amen to be killed and everything will be okay. She didn't say that. It's good to think before we speak. Two banquets later, that all that uh, took a few days, two banquets later, after the king's unconditional officer, Esther seizes the moment. Now the time has come for her to speak. She has planned, decided, has planned the strategy. And the king says to her, what is it, Esther, what is your request? Tell me. She says, I'm, I'm very grieved that my people are going to be slaughtered on Adar, the month of Adar, 13th day. And she said, who is the one who is responsible? And here was Haman. He was invited for one banquet. He went to his family and he was so excited. He says, only the queen and I were invited for the banquet. And he says, tomorrow also, again they're inviting me for second banquet. 
it was the end the beginning of the end for haman and the queen said to the king it's this wicked haman he's the one who's responsible and the story you you're familiar with that the, that the gallows made for mordecai the king said hang haman on it yes very often when we dig set traps and dig pits for others we find that we get caught we need to be very careful the god who is not mentioned in the book of esther in that moment of decision and strategy gave a divine wisdom to think and plan in this way to make her request known and if you study that it's really marvelous how she went about finally telling the king that haman was the one that needs to be finished off he's the one who plotted against the jews god gave a strategy and timing divine wisdom and divine guidance many times we face crises in our life and we think we are very wise people we have a lot of experience we have a lot of knowledge and education we think we can handle it and then we make a fool of ourselves we make a mess of things we don't humble ourselves and depend on god and uh, we create more problems at the end rather than solutions not so with esther she humbly depended on god and in that moment of decision and strategy you know god gave her the wisdom to make the right decision at the right time if we turn to chapter 9 chapter 9 look at the first five, uh, five verses we find a moment of conquest we'll just read the first verse chapter 9 the 12th month edar on the 13th day the time came for the king's command his decree to be executed on that day the enemies of the jews had hoped to overpower them but the opposite occurred in that the jews themselves overpowered those who hated them chapter 9 and verse 1 this is a moment of conquest and victory how tasty victory is how uh, desirable and how exciting to put your hands to something and taste success and blessing and here is esther in this moment of conquest when the day came the enemies of the jews tried to conquer them and slaughter them it says that god reversed the whole situation god turned the tables on them it says that that those minority group of jews says that they overpowered their enemies very badly outnumbered such a small minority they overpowered them and if you read the whole account somewhere around 75000 were killed by those jewish people very 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 wonderful victory it says the people uh, if you look in some um, verses later it says people began to fear the jews and people in government service they began to fear mordecai by now mordecai was actually quite well known and holding a very important position in palace and royalty people got scared of the jews and, and the government officials got scared of mordecai because these were his people and they were slaughtered with a terrible slaughter the jews experienced victory 
Mordecai increased in prominence. He advanced in greatness. But I want to tell you, in this moment of conquest, the God who is not mentioned in the book of Esther, he put his fear on those people. He put his fear on those people. And that is how the Jewish people won the victory. It was not the fear of Mordecai, the fear of the Jews. It was the fear of God that came on them. I think they lost the power and the will to fight. And they just fell like flies before this small group of Jewish people. A moment for Esther of victory and conquest. Yes, we all need the fear of God in our lives. In Acts chapter 5, you read Ananias and Sapphira. The church was in its infancy and they sold a plot of land somewhere and brought the money and they put it at Apostle Peter's feet, giving the impression that that was the whole money. And um, Peter asked, um, did you sell the land for so much? And uh, Ananias said, yes. And, you know, Ananias just fell dead on the spot. They took, the young men came and carried his body for the funeral. After a few hours, Sapphira, his wife, comes in. And Peter says, did you sell the money for uh, land for so much? And Sapphira said, yes. He said, those who carried out your husband, they are the door, they'll carry it. And she fell dead on the spot. I wonder why. It happened once and never happened again for the last 2,000 years in the churches around the world. I think most many of our churches may disappear. They carried out Sapphira and they buried her. In that infancy stage, God wanted his church to know that, you know, he's the holy God of heaven. There is no playing and messing and lying with him. He's a true God of honesty and integrity. And he's the same God who's in our midst. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In that moment of conquest, the God put his fear on the Persians. And one more moment and we'll be done. Chapter 9, if you look at verse 20. Mordecai wrote letters, uh, wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far, the province of King Ahasuerus, to establish them they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th days of the month, Adar, as the days on which the Jewish people had rest from their enemies, as the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them, and from mourning to a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and joy and send presents to one another and gifts to the poor. I want to finish off with this moment in Esther's life, a moment of celebration. Moments of celebration. If you look in verses 27 and 28 also, the Jews established and imposed it on themselves and their descendants. Verse 27, chapter 9. That to all who would join them, without fail, they must celebrate these two days every year according to the instructions and according to the prescribed times. They started a feast called the Festival of Purim or Lots. Probably Haman cast lots to decide which day the Jews should be slaughtered. The 13th and the 14th day of the month of Adar. And uh, what happened? On on those days every year, faithfully the Jews gathered together. They celebrated. And whom did they worship? Did they worship Esther? No. Whom did they worship? Did they worship Mordecai? No. 
They worship Jehovah God, the God of Israel, the true and the living God. They worshipped him, they gave perpetual praise to him. Through this festival every year, the God who is not mentioned in the book of Esther, they gave glory and praise to that Jehovah God. Because he was the God of Israel and the only God, the true and the living God. And the children on those two days, the children used to ask them, Daddy, Mommy, what are you doing? What's this festival? Why is everybody singing songs and so happy? And they would tell them the story. How they were such a small group and the enemies tried to slaughter them and wipe them off. But God gave them extraordinary power. And God turned their sorrow into joy. He turned their defeat into song. Now God reversed things and God turned the tables on them. And the children would understand, oh, is it? And said, come on children, you join us as well. Let's all worship, sing praises to Jehovah God. Dear brothers, sisters, we gather this morning, I believe, for a celebration and not a funeral. Even though we remembered how Jesus died on the cross and he was buried. And then he came back to life on the third day. He ascended to heaven after 40 days with the promise that I'm going to come again. And if eyes and ears are open, we know that time is very, very near. But until then, we'll celebrate the feast let us keep the feast. Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed for us. You know? So, you know, each time we come together, we must come with a spirit of joy and with a, with a disposition of praise and, you know, in an atmosphere of happiness and celebration. And um, we must rejoice with trembling and reverence, no doubt, but we must rejoice. You know? So I hope every time we come together on a Sunday, there'll be joy. No, the joy of the Lord will be our strength. It's a great moment of celebration. This morning I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, I just shared a few moments from the life of Esther and how the God who is not mentioned in Esther was very much there. I don't know what moment you are going through in your life today. Whether you identified yourself with any particular moment that Esther experienced in your life. First of all, this can be a moment of salvation for anyone who has not believed in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. It says, there is life for a look. There is life for a look at the crucified one. There is life at this moment for thee. Then look, sinner, look unto him and be saved. Unto him who was nailed to the tree. Look, look, look and live. There is a, a moment of salvation. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 2, this is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Now is the moment of salvation. If there's anybody here who does not have a, a definite experience of salvation, this is a moment when we can repent. Thank the Lord Jesus for dying for you and coming back to life and receiving him as your personal Savior and Lord. For those of us who are believers, who have had such an experience in our life sometime in the past and we're enjoying our relationship with the Lord, we have this moment to touch with our hands and to feel as it slips through our fingers like sand. Yesterday is gone. 
Tomorrow may never come. But we have this moment today. Whatever you want to do for the Lord, you have to do it today. You have to do it now. You cannot afford to wait. Our life is so uncertain. The coming of the Lord is so uncertain. And Psalm 31, 15 says, My times are in your hand. It is God who holds our times and our moments in your hand. What are we doing, you know, with each moment, each day that God is giving to us? Esther, I can look back on her life and, oh, just what a life, what a life. Those moments, high points in her life, what a life she lived. What about you and what about me? Every moment of the day, my Father cares for me. Every moment of the day, my heart from fear is free. He who sees the sparrow fall will hear my call. Every moment of the day, God watches over me and you as well. I trust that God will help us to use the moments, the days of our life well. And at the end of it all, we'll fight a good fight, finish the race, we kept the faith, and then the Lord will say, well done, good and faithful servant. May we be blessed, challenged through the life of Esther. Can we pray? <clears throat> Take a minute, silence and quietness, and then we will pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this golden opportunity to worship. We thank you for you are our God and we are your people. Once upon a time, we were not your people. We were far away from God, dead in our trespasses and sins. But by your grace, through, redeem, through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you made us your children, your people, your sons and daughters. We bow our hearts before you in adoration and thanksgiving. Thank you for your word which you have heard, the wonderful example and inspiration that your servant Esther brings to us. She has been bringing through the centuries past, so many all over the world. And Father, we pray that even as we have heard of moments in her life, and even as we identify with some moments, some such kind of moments that are going on in our life or which might, we might face in the coming days, pray, Lord, that her life, the fact that the God who is not mentioned in this book is always working behind the scenes on her behalf. That you are a God whose eyes are going to and fro throughout the whole world to show yourself strong, on behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards you. And we pray, Father, that our heart will be right with God. Our heart will always be right towards you. For you are the God who searches the hearts. So bless your word in the power of your spirit to each one of us. Commit each other into your hands as we go out into this day and the days of this week. Pray that we will live lives of extraordinary lives of influence like Esther. And you will fill us with your Holy Spirit 
So we'll touch the lives of people around us for their blessing and for your glory. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you, Father, that you are with us as he promised, even till the end of this age. In Jesus' holy and exalted name we pray. Amen.